How does the experience of migrating from one country to the other shape the practices of learning, research and teaching? About this and many other important topics is this conversation with Alcides Velázquez in this new episode of El Café Latinx. What is the experience of being a Latinx or Latin American scholar in the field of communication and media studies? What are the main challenges and opportunities that come with our identities? These are the issues that we'll talk about in El Café Latinx, where some of the leading voices in the field will share their professional experiences. Hola, my name is Pablo Bochkowski. I teach at Northwestern University, where I hold the Hamad bin Khalif Al-Thani Chair in Communication. Together with Facundo Suenzo, a doctoral student at Northwestern and executive producer of this podcast, we invite you to discover the journeys of scholars who are at the cutting edge of creating knowledge about Latinx and Latin American communities across the Americas. These are our stories. Estas son nuestras historias. Esas son nuestras historias. Welcome to this new episode of El Café Latinx. I am delighted to have with me Alcides Velázquez. Alcides is assistant professor in the Department of Communication Studies at the University of Kansas, where he has held this role since 2017. Previously, in the fall of 2015, he was Langston Hughes Communication Studies visiting professor at the same department. Before then, he was assistant professor at the Department of Communication at Pontificia Universidad Javeriana in Bogota, Colombia, where previously he had been instructor in the information science department. Alcides obtained a bachelor's in philosophy in the College of Social Sciences at Universidad de los Andes in Bogota, Colombia, a master of science in information design and technology at the School of Literature, Media and Communication at Georgia Tech, the Georgia Institute of Technology, and his PhD in media and information studies at the Department of Media and Information at Michigan State University. He is a very, very prolific scholar, author of over 20 journal articles and many, many, many refereed conference papers. Alcides, welcome to El Café Latinx. Thank you. Thank you very much, Pablo. Thank you for your introduction and your kind words. My pleasure. So, so Alcides, tell us, how did it all begin? That is, how was the start of the journey that led you to become a professor? So it all began when, so as you said, I graduated uh, in, in Bogota from, from a major in philosophy. So when I, when I graduated, I started looking for a job and uh, I had a friend who was working in this new initiative, back then new, uh, they 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 wanted to build a virtual library about Colombia and with Colombian authors, and this was a, an initiative from the uh, Biblioteca Luis Angel Arango at the Colombian Central Bank. The Colombian Central ba Central Bank is uh, has among among its its role, it has the uh, the sponsorship of of cultural um, initiatives. Uh, so it has a, a very important uh, library, uh, a few important museums, Museo del Oro, Museo Botero. So I started working there, uh, helping this team to, to implement this, uh, this uh, virtual library, but I didn't know anything about the internet. I'm talking here, I'm talking about, it was 19... What was it? I think it was 1997 or 1998. So we're talking here about the beginnings of the internet in Colombia. Uh, but when I, as I, as I gained more experience working with that team, I thought, you know, I think that this new technology is going to change the world. I want to. I want to understand more about it. I want to know how it's going to change the world. Like I, I want to study this. 
but at the same time, as I was working at a at a at this virtual library, like uh, you know, working on 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 these web design and trying to uh, learn how to do good interactive design and so on. So I had this this part that of me that wanted to be a like an interaction designer or information designer, and I had this other part of me who wanted to you know, study the social implications of the new technology. So I went to Georgia Tech to do this master in information design, which is now it's called digital media, but basically it was, it was more, uh, it has, it had some, it has some, uh, you know, theoretical foundations, but it was mostly like more practical, more learning how to be a, a designer. But when I was doing that master's, uh, as, a, as a graduate student there, I had more interaction with, uh, with uh, faculty, right? So I, I was part of different uh, groups and, and labs. And I just felt, I really liked my professors, I really liked the the what I imagined their their life, how I imagined their life their lives were, and uh, I thought I wanted I I wanted to do the same thing that they did. I I wanted to be like them basically. So I went back to Colombia knowing that I wanted to be in academia. So that's that's when I became an instructor at uh, Universidad Javeriana, working at, a, at the, uh, in the uh, information science department, which is housed within the uh, College of uh, Communication in, 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 in Universidad Javeriana. So uh, that's where I, I started. I gained some experience there teaching uh, undergrads and I remember that at some point I felt this is not enough. I, if I really want to be in, a, in, in academia, if I want to do to have a career in academia and be someone and do the research that I want to do, I need to uh, have a PhD. If I, if I want, something that I remember feeling was the research that I do right now back then when I only had a master's was basically based on reading other people's work and trying to theorize about, you know, things. And, and, and it was more, more rhetorical than anything else. Uh, so I felt that if I wanted to really understand the implications of the social implications of social media and the internet and so on, I needed, I didn't have, I felt that I needed, I didn't have the tools, the research tools that I needed to understand that. And second, my research was lacking people, you know, subjects, not because I was basically reading more like theoretical, philosophical if you if I may you know type of type of things type of literature but not more like humanistic approach and less a social science approach and I wanted to have more like a social science approach so I figured I wanted to have uh, I, I needed to do a, a PhD again I looked at uh, schools at the U.S. you know first the problem of Funding, so I I was able to uh, get a Fulbright scholarship to to pursue my studies in the U.S. and uh, I applied to different schools and uh, one of the one of the schools that uh, that in in, in 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 the way in which uh, Fulbright works back there down there is that uh, the uh, they they you suggest some schools but also they suggest some others uh and one of the schools that they 
suggested was Michigan State. And I started to look at the uh, faculty that worked there and the type of research that they were doing. And uh, uh, I was lucky because I was, I, I, I said that I wanted to apply to that one and I was lucky because I, I was accepted there. And um, so I did my PhD, four years. The first year was very, very tough. Very, very tough, I remember. Uh, because uh, something that I didn't know back then was that Michigan State has these strong quantitative approach to studying communication and media. Back then, I didn't know that. Um, it's not that I was, uh, you know, afraid of numbers or, or didn't like math, but, you know, I was trained as a philosopher and then I had these uh, designer slash humanities um, uh, education in my, in my master's uh, years at Georgia Tech. So that, that came as a surprise and it was hard to transition to a more quantitative approach to, uh, to research. The first year was tough. The second year was tough as well, but not as tough as the first one. And then after my, after my comprehensive, uh, I, I really felt that I was ready to, to do my own research. Uh, because I had, I, I, I finished my, my, my PhD and then I went back to Colombia because uh, when you get a Fulbright, part of the agreement is that you have to go back to your own country and work there for a set number of years. And also, uh, I, will, I, secure, I, I, uh, I had my, the, the job that I had at Universidad Javeriana was, oh, they kept that job for me uh, while I was studying. So I had that ready for me waiting. I, I, I was, that was, uh, I was very fortunate because I remember seeing my classmates as they were working on their dissertation and at the same time having to apply for jobs. At least I didn't have that, right? I didn't have to worry about what, what am I going to do next? Will I find a job after I graduate? Um, I didn't have to worry about that. So I, um, I went uh, back to Colombia as a, as a uh, doctor and um, continued working there in the, in now not in the information, uh, information science department, but in the communication studies department. All right, so I have, um several follow-up questions um i don't know where to start okay let's go back to the very beginning now not very many colleagues of ours who work in a behaviorally oriented social scientific space have the kind of intellectual trajectory that you have first as a philosophy student and second, as somebody who's actually designing the very objects whose effects you're studying, right? That's an information designer. How do you think your initial intellectual training as a philosopher and then your professional, initial professional training in the area of information design, how do you think they inform the kind of behaviorally oriented social science research that you do now? Well. I think that despite my quantitative training, my heavy quantitative training, I really like doing qualitative studies. Mm -hmm. And that's something that the first time that I did a qualitative study was actually when I was a grad student at Michigan State. That was very rare. Uh, but I was the, the, the leader in a project looking at uh, users of online communities. And we had like 20 or 30 inter in-depth interviews of users of an online community. 
and that was the first time that I uh, that I discovered uh, how much I liked qualitative research. And then when I went back to to Colombia, I I did a mixed method study looking at uh, parent child uh, mobile communication. Uh, I was able to to publish that study in New Media and Society. Uh, so I I think that this training you know, this trajectory of first, you know, philosophy and then more quantitative has given me the, uh, the, the ability to, if not do research, I mean, do research in quantitative, qualitative. I don't do critical studies. I do, don't do uh, rhetoric, but understand that type of research, understand the, uh, where the, you know, the, the, uh, the epistemology, where the, that, that type of research is coming from. Um, in terms of my more practical, you know, designer side, uh, well, you know, now that you mention it, back when I was a PhD student, one of the uh, one of the uh, areas of research that they had was human computer interaction, mm -hmm. which is something that I became familiar with uh, as a as a master student in the in the uh, digital media program. So back then, I was able to understand what are these people doing. H human computer interaction or, or like more practical implications of research, what are they talking about? You know, how do they approach, uh, you know, theoretical problems from a more practical, uh, you know, trying to, trying to view them more in terms of the practical implications. So I was also able to relate with that with that um, type of research, so I think that maybe, maybe the 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 advantage of of having this type of education is is that I'm able to, you know, be more uh, broad in my understanding of the uh, discipline. Uh, although it's it's funny that you that you ask that because I've always envied these people that. When you look at their CVs, you see BA, communication, master's, communication, PhD, communication. And I'm like, how did they know from the very beginning? How did they know that they wanted to do communication from the very beginning? I just figured it out like much later. <laughs> That's very interesting. Um, do you think you would approach your research differently had you done communication straight up all the way? It would have saved me a saved me a lot of like catching up <laughs> with a lot of theories and literature and learning about uh, a lot of a lot of stuff because I would have already be familiar with that. Uh, other than that, I probably I would be more like more more closed to uh, inter interdisciplinary approaches to right. to our our problems, right? Right. right? right, right, right. So going back on time, you know, you are at Michigan State. It's your second experience in the U.S. as a student. You're starting, and you said it was very tough. And I'm assuming, based on what came afterwards, that it was very tough on the sort of um, you know, coursework right side, in particular, the quantitative skills, et cetera. But how was the experience of emigrating at that point for the second time? Then you emigrated for the third time, right? Um, so as a matter of fact, how would you compare this, the three emigration or immigration, depending on where you position yourself, uh, times, right? The first time, you know, thinking about 
the experience of moving to another country the first time was obviously much, much tougher. Not knowing anything about the culture, not knowing, not, not anything, but not, not much, you know, the, the, uh, the differences between cultures, uh, language barriers. I knew English. I studied English and I was lucky enough to, to learn English in, in school, in, in, in high school. Uh, but still, I mean, I didn't practice it that much, right? So it was rusty. So I had to face that. Uh, you know, U.S. culture, how, how U.S. culture is centered, among other things, in car, in owning a car, and how if you don't have a car, so it, this was in Atlanta, you know, back, back in, in Bogota, you, you don't need a car, you don't need it, right? I mean, you can, you can, you can go anywhere using public transportation. That's not the case here. So that was like having to, uh, when I got here, when I, when I got to Atlanta, I remember thinking, okay, so I'm gonna get a bike. I'm gonna get a bicycle. I'm gonna ride my bicycle uh, to go to class. Well, you know, the humidity, <laughs> the humidity of Atlanta. And then during winter, you know, winter compared to Michigan, Atlanta's winter is nothing, but, but still it was cold. So, you know, having to realize that I needed a car, public transportation in Atlanta is, 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 not, is not very good. Um, so that, um, but something that I, um, that I really liked about the program where I was, was that I, it was very international in nature. And the uh, American students were very, very welcoming and very generous. And uh, that's something that, you know, that was one of my first um, interactions with American or conclusions about American culture, how 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 generous people can be with with their country, like with sharing uh, what they have. So I was lucky in that sense. I was very lucky also because I met a lot of people from from Colombia and from many other uh, Latin American uh, places. The second one was much easier when thinking about uh, you know, the logistics of moving and knowing that you need a car and knowing, you know, knowing how to move around and how to get a, a cell phone plan and where to buy what and so on and so forth. So I already had that experience, but it was harder uh, in, 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 in terms of filling this divide between American and non-American student. You know, when, when, when being a, a, a PhD student at Michigan State, that was for some reason more, more apparent. Um, and the third one was like, you know, you know, the logistics and all that was much easier. You know, already having a bank account, already having a credit card and all that type of stuff, you know, knowing all that, that made a difference. So then two follow-up questions. One is why do you think the the second one was more difficult in terms of the you know, divide is my word 
between uh, being a um, US born person versus not, right? And the second is um, the third time you came to the US, you change roles. You were the first time you were a student, now you are an authority in the classroom, right? You are, you are on the other side of the fence. Um, how did that factor in, if at all, it was not the first time because you were already a professor at Javeriana, right? But you're a professor here in the States, right? Um, so, and, and it's not common uh, for, you know, research one universities in the States to recruit somebody for a tenure track who's a professor else in, in, in another country. It's happening more now, I've seen it more, but it wasn't happening at all probably 10, 10 years ago. So it's a significant cultural change. So why, you know, why the difference between number one and number two? And um, how has the change in role been in that sense? So, I, I don't know why, maybe the first, the, maybe the second time, the second time maybe it was about expectations and how you, because you come from an, you are an international student, and you, you, English is not your first language. Don't expect that because of those two conditions, we're gonna treat you differently. We're going to demand from you the same as we would from anyone else. Um, is that fair? I mean, sure. I mean, I don't want to be treated differently, right? In certain, I, I, I don't want. I, I want to learn and I want to acquire the same type of knowledge. I don't want anyone to say, "Yeah, you know, it's okay. You don't have to do this. It's all right." Uh, but certainly, we are not. We are not in the same. This the the playing field is not leveled the it's it's completely it's completely different right so when you engage in research with a faculty and two other students and the other students are 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 from the you are u.s born and you are not uh, you know it's 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 different it's it might be harder for you and that's something that that is might not be acknowledged uh, by by um, faculty when they engage with uh, international students uh, whose English is not their first language or that are moving from another place and they are dealing with uh, you know moving to a different culture, right? Uh, the difference then maybe was that in my first experience, I was not writing or doing research with my faculty and other uh, uh, classmates. In the second experience up here, I'm sitting trying to, uh, you know, getting, getting, uh, getting assigned uh, specific roles about a paper, and then you're in charge of the literature review. And, you know, it takes longer for you if English is not your language to come up with uh, uh, the section that you're assigned, right? Or it might have, you know, grammatical mistakes, or it might have, uh, you know, awkward grammatical construction and so on. That's one thing. Uh, the only thing is that when when you when you graduate when you come from 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 a from from a when you when you apply this this applies not only to to US born but people that that studied first here in the US when you apply uh, 
to a PhD program. And faculty and the and the faculty that you're gonna work with and 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 the, know the other professors that you had in the other place or knows the other university, you know, there's there's something, there's this perception of you know commonality or closeness that makes the difference. As an international student, as someone coming from abroad, not knowing, you know, the uh, ins and out of applying to a PhD program and then getting a job at a US university as a, as a, as a graduate and so on. You're, you're, you're kind of learning these uh, social dynamics and, and uh, getting, getting to know how uh, much of many of these, uh, uh, many, a lot of the things that happen in academia are because of social connections, right? Much mm. of the resources that you get, much of the research that you do, much of the uh, jobs that people get and so on is because of uh, you, where you graduated from, who did you work with and so on and so forth. That's something that you don't realize until later, right? Uh, and that's something that you learn as you are um, a, a PhD student here in the US. Maybe, you know, people that are already here in the US, US born students, Maybe they already know these dynamics. I guess I. That's that's a guess. I don't know. And then, how did things change from being a student to being a professor in the U.S.? So now, clearly, the uh, relationship, at, at least at the at the undergraduate level, the relationship teacher student in the US is very different compared to the relationship teacher student back in Colombia. How so? I, I'm gonna guess in Latin, I'm gonna guess in Latin America. Right. So, so how would you characterize the difference? Well, it's, 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 it's uh, In the US, students tend to keep more their distance. You are the professor, I am the student, that's it, right? Mm -hmm. There's no joking, there's no, uh, you know, uh, there's little, uh, development of any other type of relationships in addition to just being teacher and student. Back in Colombia, in my experience, you, it's not like you became friends with students, no, but you could have conversations with students that would, were not necessarily around issues uh, related with um, school. Uh, you know, there was uh, more proximity or more, the relationships were not as cold as they are uh, with students here in the US. That's my, that's my perception. People are tend to like and keep more their distance. You are there, you're the professor, that's your role, I'm the student, that's it. Um, now, an important difference between being a, a professor back in Colombia compared to here in the US is that obviously, Back in Colombia, I was not um, an immigrant. I was not, I was just from Colombia. I was not different, let's say, right? I didn't have an accent. I didn't, 
here I do, right? Here I am from another country. I am from Colombia, I'm from South America. I am Latinx, I have an accent. English is not my first language. All that factors in, I think, when students engage with you and evaluate you as an instructor. Uh, the other thing, the other interesting thing is, you know, to learn all the things, to, to realize so many things that you don't when you are a grad student. Yes, you are a grad student. I was a grad student at, 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 at Michigan State, but there are so many things that I didn't know at, or that I didn't realize about faculty um, when I was a grad student, but that I that now I know because I am one of them, right? Uh, so the the difference in role skill makes a huge difference. Be, being you know a student versus being a faculty, uh, it's a it's a it's a huge difference in terms of uh, yes, authority and. Uh, the amount of work that you're expected to do, and the then and the uh, and the uh, expectations that people have about your work and so on, that makes that that's a huge difference. You know, I remember when I was at Michigan State in my I think it was I was working on my dissertation. I and I was at a point where I was doing research like crazy, doing my dissertation and engaging many other projects. I remember one of the one of the uh, faculty, one of the professors that I were was working with. She told me, "You know, enjoy it now. Enjoy it now that you're a grad student, because when you, when, because in a year when you're a faculty, when you're a professor, wherever you are, you are going to see how much how hard it is to continue." doing the research that you want to do because you are gonna to have to teach your classes, do service and deal with many other things plus doing your research. So take advantage of it right now. I remember her <laughs> saying that to me and how, how, how true, how true. Absolutely. Now I see <laughs> that you mentioned um, that, you know, Upon coming to the U.S. for the third time and becoming a professor at the University of Kansas, um, you know your multiple positionalities sort of have factored into your work as a teacher, as a scholar, Latin American, Latinx, etc. How do you navigate and negotiate these identities, these multiple identities? How? much you think you are seen as one, the other, or both, right? Um, what kinds of, um, does that bring up new questions for your research? Does that um, bring up new ideas for your service or your teaching? Um, how, how do you experience that intersection between being a Latin American born and a Latinx person now in the US? Yeah, yeah. The, 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 this this category of of Latinx, it's a very it's an interesting one because it's uh, something that you become, or uh, in my in my experience, it's something that I became as I moved here in the U.S. to live here, because before that I was a Latin American student, a South American student, a Colombian student, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, as I moved to the U.S., I realized, you know, um, now I'm I'm a Latino now, right? I'm, I'm why? Well, because I for it's it's something that I clearly it's not something that emerges from you. It's something that is like it's 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 the environment mm -hmm. who dictates this new. Uh, um, social category on you. Well, uh, I I think that this intersection of 
Latin American, Latinx um, has shaped my research a great deal. So, you know, I, at the end, I came here and I am an immigrant, right? I'm a Latinx and I am an immigrant. That's the truth for, for you know, anyone who uh, asks me, you know, where were you born? Tell me your story and so on and so forth. My story is that one of, uh, of someone who immigrated to the US. So that, that came to be part of my, um, my identity. And uh, I come from South America, from Latin America, from La a Latin American country. Uh, so I kind of realized that part of my story was the same as the story of many other people who also, for whatever reason, for many different reasons, moved from Latin America, from my Latin American country to the US. And that definitely shaped my research. I started uh, to, uh, to become interested in, in, in the issue of immigration. And this coincided, me moving to the US in 2017, coincided with, with uh, Trump being president. Immigration was a very salient issue back then in, 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 his, um, in, the, in the public agenda and in his uh, policy agenda and in the agenda of the media, clearly. Uh, so that, and me realizing, well, I'm a migrant. I, uh, I am an immigrant. I am in the. Uh, I have the uh, privilege of being in a position of being an illegal immigrant in the U.S., uh, having a job, and so on and so forth. But so many people from Latin America that come here in in in, in different circumstances that are not maybe the ones that I that I have. Well, those. What about that those, right? What about all those people who this president is now trying to uh, demonize and, and, and trying to, uh, you know, treat in, in, in that way? Um, so I, in my research, I became interested in looking at the issue of immigration and uh, Latinos coverage or, or rather discussion of the, uh, of the issue of immigration on social media, uh, how you know you identifying as a Latinx um, influences your political expression on social media, your political participation overall. How do you perceive the media, especially in their coverage about immigration and so on? So I started to to become interested in in, in those issues, and and that's what um, that's part of the research that I'm, that I'm, uh, that I'm doing now. So, as you navigate, not your university, but the larger field in its various institutional expressions from journal articles to, you know, the annual conferences um, and anything in between, how have you personally experienced these multiple identities, professional identities, but also personal identities being received? Right? Um, and is it different, for instance, for journal articles uh, than in um, the conference circuit, or is it the same? So, Something that I, something that I, um, I, I, I think that I was lucky that that Trump was became president when I when I uh, moved here and started doing this type of research because then journals at the same time became interested in looking at immigration or ethnic minorities. Latinx in particular because of the rhetoric of Trump. So in my, in my view, 
I think that journals might have become a little bit more open to someone studying uh, from a particular theoretical perspective, from a quantitative approach, studying this population, Latinx, US Latinos. I think that the key though, is to make it about the theory. Because when you make it about the theory, then your findings are of relevance to a broader audience. And you're not only talking about Latinx or Latinx, right? That's something that maybe might be uh, uh, a, a perspective from, from, from journal editors, I, I, I guess, I, I, I don't know, I don't know, but. Um, I think that participation in conferences, what I've noticed is that in my experience, I tend to associate either with people with whom I went to grad school with, because that's one of the, uh, that's one of the, uh, one of the reasons why someone I think goes to a conference is to be able to see people that they don't usually see. And one of, one of those groups are the people who, with whom I, I went to school with, grad students. So them and, uh, you know, colleagues, people, people with whom you have done work or friends from academia and so on. And something that I've noticed is that I might, for some reason, it might be the case that Latinx people or Latin American people tend to associate more among themselves and less with uh, other groups. Um, there's obviously there are exceptions, but there might be these this that 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 tendency right i think um yeah okay. i don't know if i answered your question no no you <laughs> did you did so so then if you had magical powers and could be granted one wish about how you would like um for the field of communication and media studies to change what would you wish for Hmm. You know, something that this doesn't, I think this doesn't only apply to media and communication studies, but for science in general. But something that my colleagues back at Universidad Javeriana uh, really uh, disliked and was one of the reasons why they didn't, they you know, my colleagues back at the Universidad Javeriana didn't, uh, don't tend to come to, uh, uh, for example, ICA or NCA. And one of the key reasons is because of the language. They, they, can, they can read English, but maybe they cannot engage in uh, conversation with another uh, colleague, from another place uh, where they, the only common language is gonna be English. Maybe they don't have that uh, proficiency or maybe it's more ideological. Why would English be the language, the language of choice and not another one? And that's a complaint that I, I heard many, many times from people uh, that worked with me um, back then. And uh, obviously I didn't have that complaint. I went to school in the US, I spoke English. I felt comfortable both reading and speaking and discussing and engaging in, 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 in scholarship um, in English. But, but then 
you know, we are we are we are in two different worlds where we have all this research done in English by European and uh, U.S. universities, excellent quality and so on and so forth. And then we have this other world researching media and communication from Latin America done, done uh, mostly in, in, in Spanish with a completely different theoretical approach, different authors. But I think we have, you know, the, the research problems I'm pretty sure are very similar, but we have uh, these differences in, 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 in language that make it so that we cannot learn from each other and talk to each other. So if I had a wish, it would be, I don't know, have a common language that we all knew and that we felt that it was our own so that we could, wouldn't have these, uh, these, these uh, you know, uh, barriers of communication and, and engagement in, in research. Excellent, excellent, excellent. And I wish we could create that language or at least, you know, include more languages other than English. Um, even we are conducting this conversation in English um, and, and become a more multilingual field. Um, thank you very much, Alcides. This has been truly, truly excellent. Um, thank you to our listeners for staying with us to the end. And I invite everybody to join us for the next episode of El Café Latinx. Thank you again. El Café Latinx is a production of the Center for Latinx Digital Media in the Department of Communication Studies at Northwestern University. I'm Pablo Wojcicki, the host, and I'm joined by executive producer Facundo Swenson.